Happy Easter, everybody. Happy Easter. Yeah. My name is Kevin Jackson. Uh, I'm an elder here at Windsor Road Christian Church, uh, which means I'm not the pastor. Uh, but we did, earlier this morning, have a Pastor Randy sighting. Uh, he came to the 8 o'clock service, so praise God. Um, we got a chance to see him, and, and he's looking great. Um, and uh, so I, I just feel privileged this morning and, and excited um, to have a conversation uh, with you this morning about, about the resurrection. Um, first off, I did, I did want to mention a couple of things. One is I'm, I'm wearing a light-colored suit, right? I, I wasn't sure if that would be appropriate, uh, but I don't know if you saw my brother Dale up here in the choir, but he is always looking sharp, so I felt bold said, I'm going to go with a light suit, which is different for a, an accountant type. <laughs> um, the second thing is I have this clicker, so just to, so that you're not uh, distracted. This is something, this is just my thing. So I so just wanted to, what does he have in his hand? It's my security blanket. So um, let's open in a word of prayer, and then we'll, and then we'll celebrate. Let's pray. Father, Father God, we love you, and we praise you, and we, Father, we thank you. We always have thanks for your provision, but on Resurrection Sunday, on the day where we celebrate your greatest provision, um, we, are, we are so thankful. Father, we pray that um, as we spend time together, Lord, that, um, that we will recognize you in this room, your Holy Spirit, that we would have our hearts open. Father, I pray, Lord, that um, even as I speak, that it's your message. In Christ's name we pray, amen. My poor children. Um, so, so many of you probably know that I have three children. Uh, Noah, who is 15 and really tall. Um, and then I have uh, two daughters, uh, Bethany and Hannah, who are 12 and 10, uh, all great kids. And, and uh, as the dad, one of my jobs is to take them to school each morning. And so that's what I do. I get, in, uh, get on the road, we get to school. And as part of that, we can call it a tradition, I always try to engage them somehow. I want to have a conversation with them. And usually I ask questions like, you know, who has something going on today? What do you have going on at school? Or, oh, you have an exam, you guys ready for it? That type of thing. But from time to time, I throw them a curveball. And it was probably three or four weeks ago where I threw them a curveball. And as I was backing out of the driveway, I said, okay, guys, this morning, I have a theological question for you. Now, here's the deal. I don't want the right answer, because I think you know the right answer. I want the real answer. I want to know what you really think. And those of you who know my 10-year-old probably wouldn't be surprised to hear her say, I don't like where this is going. <laughs> but I plowed forward. I kept moving on. And I said, okay, guys, here's the question. Do you believe in God? Do you believe in God? And after an awkward pause, kind of like this one, um, my 10-year-old finally chimes in, 
I say yes. I believe in God. And she goes on to give a very compelling explanation for why she believes in God. And then the other two chime in and say, yes, we believe in God too. And I said, okay, guys, now I got a second question for you. Given that you believe in God, how does your believing in God matter to your life? How does it matter to your choices? How does it matter to your attitude? In other words, if you didn't believe in God, what would be different about your choices and your attitude? Now, that was a tougher question. I mean, that's a tough question for me. But I thought this morning there are two analogous questions we could ask on Resurrection Sunday. So that's what we're going to talk about, two resurrection questions, where the first question is, do you believe in the resurrection? Now, admittedly, this is Resurrection Sunday, you're here, so I'm going to make some type of assumption that most of us in the room kind of would say, yeah, I believe in the resurrection, although if, if that's something you struggle with, there'll be, there'll be something for you. The question that we're going to focus on, though, is the second question. How does your believing in the resurrection matter to your life? What does it, how does it make a difference? How does it affect your decisions, your choices, your attitude? And that's a tough question. Uh, but we're going to start, and I think it's appropriate to start, on Good Friday. Um, those of you who weren't here Friday, uh, you missed out on Valina's great message. And so I'm going to rehash, kind of cover some territory. She did a great job of covering, uh, but I'm going to summarize it by starting where we should start, which is God desires a relationship with us. God desires a relationship with us. Now, a great question would be, why? Why does he desire a relationship with us? And I, my, my answer is, I don't know. I don't know. Now, uh, it's, it can't be because we deserve it. It's not that we've earned it in any way. And as I read the scriptures, I guess what I come conclude from reading other scriptures is that God is a relationship God. He's always existed the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in relationship with one another. And he desires to have a relationship with his creation. God is a relationship God. But we have a problem. And the problem is sin separates us from a holy God. Sin. Sin, by sin, what I mean is those things that we do or say or feel that oppose the sovereignty of God. Anytime we want to take the mantle of king away from God and take it upon ourselves and say, well, I want to do this because I want to do it. Well, that's when we have removed the sovereignty from God. And God cannot accommodate sin. He can't. Um, and just to clarify, it's not because he's not powerful, all-powerful. He can do anything. No, he can do anything with his power, but his nature precludes him from accommodating sin. He's a holy God, and there are consequences to sin that he holds us accountable for. Now, in the Old Testament, uh, God 
made a way for him to engage with his people through a sacrificial system, a system by which those who um, uh, were his people could, could bring animals uh, as a sacrifice, and God would take the consequences for his people of their sin and place it on these sacrificial animals so that he could continue to engage with his people. Well, the challenge was that that was incomplete and it was temporary uh, because, because people would always have to continually get into this sacrificing of the animals. And so God made a way to take care of it forever by sending his son Jesus, who was God himself, and that's a tough mystery to kind of work through, to be the perfect sacrifice and all of our sin and all of the consequences of our sin are laid upon Jesus on the cross and God takes his wrath of our sin on, puts it onto Jesus, allowing us to have a relationship with us. And he did it because he desires a relationship with us. No other reason. And there was no other way. And that is good news. That is good news. Do you believe that's good news? That's good. Because the disciples didn't believe it, at least not on Good Friday. The disciples didn't believe that was good news. There were no celebrations going on on Good Friday. There was no claim of victory on Good Friday. No, on Good Friday, there was despair. There was disillusionment. In fact, I'm going to read a passage from uh, Luke, uh, chapter 24. Uh, we're going to start on verse uh, 17. And here's the setup here. Um, Luke is writing a narrative about the resurrected Christ, the resurrected Jesus, coming alongside two disciples that are leaving Jerusalem on their way to Emmaus. And, and they reveal what's in their hearts. So starting in verse 17, and he said to them, and this is Jesus said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. They had hoped that he was the Messiah, that he was the one. But on Good Friday, he was the prophet. A powerful prophet, but he was the prophet. But that changes. Their mindset changes. And if we go down to verse 30, 
we start to see that change as Jesus continues to walk alongside them. They invite him to stay, and he says, sure, or something like that. I'm sure he wasn't sure. Um, and they have a meal, and, and we'll pick up in verse 30. When he was at the table, this is Jesus, when Jesus was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened the, to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered saying, together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. You see, for them, when they recognized Jesus as the resurrected Jesus, the resurrection changed everything. It changed everything. Here we have two disciples. And remember, and this time, these believers, these followers of Christ were being pressed. They were being pressed by Rome, occupation. They were being pressed by the rulers, their own rulers of the Jews. They had just killed Jesus. Their own rulers had just killed Jesus. They were being pressed. But the resurrection, the resurrection gave them hope. The resurrection brings hope. And I know that there are some of us in this room this morning who are feeling pressed. Whether it's because of our health, we're feeling pressed. Maybe it's broken relationships, we're feeling pressed. Maybe it's addiction, we're feeling pressed. Well, today, on Resurrection Sunday, you have hope. Because the hope of these disciples is our hope. The hope of something to come. That's what they were, they were still being pressed, right? Nothing had happened on that end from Good Friday. They were still being pressed, but now they had hope of what was to come. And that's our hope of what was to come, of what's to come. But the resurrection actually means more than that. There's more to it than just what's to come. I want to take a look at uh, 1 Corinthians, and I have, the, I have the, the verse up here, 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 15, verses 20 through 22. I have, it, I have it up here for us to read together. But for those of you who aren't familiar with, uh, with Paul, this is a letter from the Apostle Paul. And Paul um, is like, you know, super apostle, and he has, he has started all of these churches around the known world, and from time to time he gets word that there are issues with the church, and so he writes letters to say, okay, church, you got issues, okay? And this church, and the churches in Corinth, uh, one of the things they were dealing with was, what's up with this resurrection stuff? Is this really true? And so in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul clarifies the, the resurrection. 
And so if for those of us in this room who for the first question, the resurrection question, do you believe in the resurrection? If that's something you struggle with, I would encourage you to look at chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians because Paul is making the case for the resurrection. Now the passage we're going to read um, is really directed and it reads, but first, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. So what you see Paul is doing here is he's making a contrast. He's contrasting Adam, Adam who is the progenitor or the first among men who die, He's contrasting that with Christ, the progenitor or first of men who are resurrected. And so those of us who have confessed with our mouths that we're sinners and have claimed the saving power of Jesus, we're resurrected people. That doesn't mean that we will be resurrected people. No, it means that we are today resurrected people. We're changed. We're different. And because we're resurrected people, we should see things differently. We should look at our lives, at our world differently. We should have an eternal perspective, understanding that what I see in front of me is just temporary. Reality is what's eternal. That's what reality is, is what's eternal. And that changes everything. It changes how we present ourselves. How does it change how we present ourselves? Well, it, it changes how we present ourselves because I no longer have to live life under this pretense that I'm something that I'm not. I can be vulnerable, I can be authentic, I can be broken. Because the person whose opinion really matters already knows that. So I don't have to put on airs. I'm, I'm free to be me. In all my brokenness and messiness, I can be me. It changes how we see others. It changes how we see others. Because now we can see others the way that God sees others. And God sees others as his creation, whom he desires to have a relationship with. And I can use God's lens to see others the same way. So I don't have to see my coworker as someone I have to compete with and, or tear them down. No, I see my coworker as someone I wish to influence for the kingdom, for Christ's sake. And it also, an eternal perspective, changes or allows us to recognize the true enemy. Allows us to recognize the true enemy, the one true enemy. And I'll, I'll be the first to say that, um, that 
I often point the finger at the wrong enemy. I point the finger at my boss. I'll point the finger at my spouse, who's not in the service this morning, but, <laughs> or I'll point the finger, I'll even point the finger at my children. And kids, I know some of you point the finger at your parents. Why? Because they're frustrating my will. So they must be the enemy. They're getting in the way of me doing what I want to do. So they're the enemy. But an eternal perspective allows us to see through that, to recognize that we have one enemy. And it's not our spouse. It's not our former spouse. It's Satan. I said it. It's Satan. And in recognizing that enemy, it allows us to give grace to those who we would otherwise point the finger at. Now, um, I wish that I could have this eternal perspective all the time. Um, but, I, but I don't. And I don't mind saying that because I know you don't either. So we're all here together. But how do we guard, how do we guard our eternal perspective? How do we guard our eternal perspective? We can't do anything without the Holy Spirit. So I, what I don't want us to kind of walk away with thinking is that I can somehow do something, I can somehow manage and be better and be stronger and man up, uh, no. We need the Holy Spirit. Uh, the challenge is submitting to that Holy Spirit, trying to, trying to be sensitive to that Holy Spirit. But you know, God has a plan for that too. God has a plan for that too, and that plan is in this room this morning. It's the people you're sitting next to. We are called to encourage one another. We are called to lift each other up and keep our, each other with an eternal perspective. You know, my fellow elder, uh, Eric, uh, he prays, and when he prays, he often reminds us of Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. That's the plan. The plan is for us to encourage one another. So, so let, let me try to summarize here a little bit. Um, so the resurrection, the resurrection gives us an eternal perspective and an eternal perspective is guarded by our encouraging one another. So what that means is that although the resurrection is, is why we're here this morning, why I'm here this morning, the resurrection is why I'll be back next week and the week after that and the week after that for the resurrection, because we need that. And that's okay. 
That's the plan. So our challenge this morning, our challenge, there are three challenges, uh, and they're not my challenges. Um, These are challenges uh, that I think God has put before us this morning on Resurrection Sunday. The first challenge is hold on to the hope that is in Christ Jesus and his resurrection. Hold on to that hope. Hold on to that hope because even in the midst of all the mess that we find in this broken world that comes at us, we can still have joy. We can still have joy in what's to come. So hold on to the hope that we have in the resurrection. Uh, second challenge, allow the resurrection to change our perspective to an eternal perspective. Give in to that eternal perspective. Abide in that eternal perspective. And our third challenge, acknowledge that our pursuit of Christ is not something that we can do alone. And that's okay. Because It's never the plan to do it alone. The plan has always been that we do this together. Amen? Happy Easter. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Father, we love you and we praise you. We know you as an awesome God also as a God who desires a relationship with us. And it's overwhelming how much you gave up to make that happen, to make that provision, to make a way, 